Lord willing, next week we'll we'll play that uh, uh, clip that uh, Doug Lehman sent to us. I think it'd be very encouraging. There in northern Brazil, and in general, you either have or you don't have. It's a it's a real uh, most people don't have. It's a it's a real uh, low. Uh, income area, and they have taken that 30 acres and have worked it. They have built a structure on there, and they they have taken young men in. This is the first year, and they are teaching them uh, tech trades, usually computer, internet related. So they'll have a way to support themselves, and then they are also teaching them uh, theology. Um, we're not the only nation that LGBTQ is rampant in, in in Brazil. Also, homosexuality is on the rise. And one of the things that uh, Pastor Lehman has tried to, to stress is for dads to teach their young sons what it means to be a man and, and what is involved there. That that has been a great neglect, so I think you'll be encouraged as you hear these young men report in Portuguese how profitable that institute is uh, for them, what they're learning, and then there are captions along the bottom for those like me who don't speak Portuguese to understand what they're saying. We are, I, I began last week, I usually don't do this. Maybe I'll start a different uh, tradition, but starting with the New Year's, I decided uh, to do uh, finishing well. I wanted to do a biography of one of the kings of Israel, and so I chose King Hezekiah. Uh, comes from a Hebrew verb, chazak, which means to be strengthened, and then yah is the end. So that name Hezekiah means the Lord has strengthened, or the Lord strengthens. Um, Lord willing, next week we will return to our study of the Gospel of Matthew, and we have finished chapter 5, and we will begin chapter 6 uh, next week. If you were here last week, I'm making progress. This time I brought my sermon instead of leaving it in there on the desk, and uh, I'm going to remember to open in prayer, not five minutes into the sermon to pause. So, Lord God in heaven above, thank you for Christ the Savior. Thank you that you have come, you have lived a perfect life, you fulfilled all the law, the requirements that we could never fill. The law exposes our sin and points us to the need for a Savior. We thank you that you are that Savior. And you not only fulfilled all righteousness, but you willingly took our place as our substitute on the cross. And during those, those six hours, three of light and three of darkness, suffered not only physically, but suffered the torment that we deserve. And thank you for those 
final words on the cross, Tetelestai, it is finished. You were buried, but you did not stay there. You rose, you ascended to heaven, and you are coming back. And so, help us. Help us, O oh God, to serve you effectively and to look forward to the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So as we look at the life of this godly king, both his strengths and occasionally uh, his, his weaknesses when his faith faltered, strengthen us, give us greater determination to live godly lives, to serve you effectively, to be a people of the book, a people of prayer, a people who love our God, who love one another. And then, Lord, give us great clarity regarding the gospel, the good news. And give us boldness in our faith to speak that gospel to people who are perishing. And then to live lives worthy of the gospel. And we also pray, as you have instructed us, Lord of the harvest, send out laborers into the harvest field. So may you be the true teacher. Open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of your word. To behold them, to pay attention to them, to believe them to practice them for the glory of our triune God. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to... We, we actually... Uh, there's 11 chapters devoted in Scripture to King Hezekiah. There are four in Isaiah, and there's four in 2 Kings, and there's three chapters in 2 Chronicles. Um, so I'm going to be jumping back and forth between Kings and, and Chronicles and Isaiah, but I'm going to begin in 2 Kings in just a brief review of, for those who weren't here, what we, what we looked at. The difference between Kings and Chronicles, they're both doing the history of Israel, but 2 Kings... Second Chronicles brings it further down in history. It ends with the hope and the Jews return to Jerusalem, whereas Second Kings ends with the deportation of Judah uh, to, to Babylon. So um, if you'll turn in your Bibles to begin with, we're going to start in Second Kings and uh, move around to some of the other uh, passages. We began with thinking about Hezekiah's heritage. Hezekiah is the 13th king in the line of Judah. There's only one dynasty in the line of Judah and Jerusalem. There are nine dynasties of the northern kingdom, and some of them are very short-lived. And the reason why is starting with Jeroboam, after that great sin of Solomon, the split of the empire in 933, and then you have um, Ahijah came 
to Jeroboam and said, look, if you, if you will obey God, you will do what is right, you can have his blessing upon you. And he said, no, that will never work. They're going to go down to Jerusalem to worship. So I have a better idea than what God has. I'm going to set up up here in Dan and down in Bethel places to worship. They don't have to go down to Jerusalem. And what's more, why be so restrictive? Let everybody who wants to come, uh, and not just the Levites to be priests. I want, I want a religion that's practical, that works for everybody, and, and uh, is not so restrictive. You reject God. You reject his word. I, let me tell The inerrancy of Scripture is so vitally important. When you reject sola scriptura, and you are now in your own thinking, it's like this. You, you, are headed, you are headed downhill to disaster, sometimes faster uh, than sooner. So we come to this, this king, and we looked at his, his father Ahaz, and that was in uh, chapter uh, 16, and he was a wicked king. Now, my understanding is this. If you, if you ever read Edwin Tila, the mysterious number of the Hebrew, Hebrew kings. Um, prior to that work, when you try and reconcile numbers in kings and chronicles, some would say, it, it's helpless. See, that's, that's the reason why um, you can't believe the history of the Bible. And he came along, and so due to some of the data in Scripture, he came along, no, there are co-regencies. And that's the reason for the difference in the numbers. So my understanding here is that Hezekiah was a co-regent. He was reigning with his father probably at, from age 14 to age 25 when he became the sole king. So he's watching this stuff. He's seeing this wickedness. He is seeing the, the campaign of his father to kind of buy off the Assyrians only to have them go, thanks for your money, but we're, we're going to stomp on you anyway. And, uh, I mean, Ahaz burned his son as an offering. I mean, it's, it's remarkable that Hezekiah was still alive. Um, he, he, went, he went to Damascus. He, he saw the sacrifices there, and he came back, and he said, Look, I want an altar and a priest just like that. Well, how well... Did that work out? And so, in 2 Kings 18, after that disaster, he had watched uh, his, his wicked father follow the wrong patterns, pursued Assyrian and Syrian aid, only to find that that failed him rather than turning to the Lord. And somehow, I take it probably through Isaiah, um, while he's watching this campaign of his father, of somehow it came to him. When you look at his reform that we won't have the time to go through totally in Second Chronicles, reinstituting the sacrifice system, the Passover, proper worship, the musical accompaniment to uh, the worship of the people of God, it's stunning. And so where did he learn that? Well, I, I go back to 
Deuteronomy chapter 17. What's the king supposed to do? He's only supposed to be an Israelite, and when he comes to the throne, what's he supposed to do? There's just part of that on there, but he's not, he's not to multiply horses. Don't let that be your strength. He's not to multiply gold and silver. Don't make that your trust. But when you come to your throne, here's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to have a mishnah. That, that's a double, an exact copy of what the priests have of the Torah, of the law of God. And it's to be handwritten, and you're, you're to have it in your presence each day. And you're supposed to read from it every day. Now, let me tell you, that's not also for, for the king. Not every person had that privilege of having a, a written copy. Do you, do you realize what a privilege it is for us to have the Word of God in our presence? I just saw the latest uh, statistics. You know how many people who are professing believers, you know how many read their Bible on any regular basis? 11%. 11%. Look, how, how, can, how can you know what God has said? How can you get that strength from God if you don't read his word? If you're here this morning and you don't read the scriptures, start somewhere. Start reading his word. And so that's what the, that's what the king had to do. And so he had, a, he had a scroll just like the priest. He was to read it all the days of his life. Why? So he'd learn to fear Yahweh Elohim, the Lord his God, and be careful to do all the words of that law. And so he wouldn't be lifted up and go, yeah, Lord, you got the right man for the job here. No, it's grace and mercy that the king is there. And furthermore, you don't turn to the right, don't turn to the left. You're to walk in a narrow path before God. And I take it that somehow this message got through to Hezekiah Yahweh strengthens. So we read in 2 Kings 18, after his co-regency, he began to reign, his sole reign. He was 25 years old. He reigned 29 years. We see his mother's name was Abi. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, had done. Now, why this is so striking, out of the eight good kings of, of Judah, you'll look at some... Now, Asa did right, except he didn't remove the high places or Jehoshaphat. And, and you just see there are qualifications. There's no qualifications here. And we see he removed the high places, broke the pillars. Those were male places. Of, for, he cut down the Asherah, the, the female uh, representations of deity. And remember that Nehushtan, Nahash, means in, in Hebrew a, a serpent. And it goes all the way back to numbers. Remember all the, all the serpents? and you, All you had to do was look and live. Look and live. And some go, that's so foolish. Just look and live? Yeah, you're supposed to look at the serpent. And some did, and they lived. But then what happens? It turns into a relic. You begin to worship the pole with the serpent on. And Hezekiah comes on, we're, we're, we're putting an end to this nonsense. He smashed the thing to pieces that they were using. Uh, you know, at the time of the Reformation, that's not the only time there were relics. And so he smashed that thing. But then you see the verbs, the verbs. You know, love in 1 Corinthians 13, 
It may sound like adjectives, but every one of those in 1 Corinthians 13 is a verb. It's a verb. Love is action. What did he do? He trusted, he relied upon Yahweh, and it says there were none like him before him or after him. That is stunning. You, you even think of Josiah who came later on, and so he's going to head and shoulders above. He held fast like glue to Yahweh. He didn't turn aside. He kept and obeyed the commands of the Lord. And furthermore, because he did that, the Lord was with him. Wherever he went, he prospered. Uh, he struck down the Philistines as far as Gaza, all the way down on the coast from watchtower to fortified cities. And then we have this little comment. He rebelled against the king of Assyria. I mean, that took some guts um, to, to do that against uh, the leading power uh, in, at, at that time. Um, so, um, turn over, keep, keep your finger there, but turn over to Second Chronicles uh, chapter 32. Now, it's going to go uh, 29, 30, the great Passover celebration, the priest, all of this, uh, the great reform that was brought about uh, by Hezekiah. His father closed the doors to the temple. He reopened it. He cleaned it up. He had to have a copy of Torah in front of him to know what to do. And he listened to the godly priest. And then it says, verse, uh, end of chapter 31, Hezekiah did throughout all Judah. He did what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God and every work that he undertook in the service of the house of God in accordance with the law and the commandments, seeking his God, he did with all his heart and prospered. Wow. Would that, be, would that be said of us, I, I obeyed God with all my heart? What a, what a record. And then we come to chapter 32, and it's stunning. After these things and these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah. Um, That faithfulness is a word related to the word for truth. In other words, after his deeds of truth, the truth that God has revealed, he pursued truth in a consistent manner, and then he rebelled against the king of Assyria. Now, usually the, if, if you read the annals, of, there are Assyrian annals. They go back. They put this stuff in their palaces. This thing has been fine. They, they, would, 
Jonah is, is far before this. Jonah's about 760. Remember why he didn't want to go to Nineveh? Yeah. I hate those cruel Assyrians. Don't show them mercy. And uh, God had a different uh, um, agenda and showed mercy. They, don't, they can't even determine the difference between their right hand and their left hand. I mean, is, is that where we're largely at as a nation? I mean, leadership that they can't call evil good and good evil, but God was merciful to them. Except about a century later, you read Nahum, and things fell right back into uh, decline again. And so here, um, he's faithful, and... He rebelled against Assyria, namely, he wasn't paying the tribute anymore. And so they were kind of tied up with some of the, the Babylonians. There, there were small uprisings, and they were kind of tied up with that. And once they tackled that, then they go, okay, we're coming, we're coming after this guy. Who does he think he is to rebel against uh, us? Um, Assyria had overwhelmed Samaria in 722. We're right about 701 right now with this uh, occurrence. And um, why, why is it that this, this would happen? We, we read when we worked through First and Second Samuel, God honors those who honor him. Well, what kind of honor is this that now the Assyrians are going to have to come after him after he obeyed God? This should keep us from thinking of faith as some kind of magical prophylactic against all hardships and troubles and difficulties. I mean, if we do that, just wipe out James uh, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. God brings difficulties upon godly people. Why? Otherwise, you're going to get too comfortable. I'm going to get too comfortable. And when I get comfortable, what happens? I start relying upon myself rather than God. And furthermore, I'm not complete. I'm not totally mature yet. So God brings difficulties into our life. And the question is, how are you going to handle them? Are you going to trust God? Are you going to seek wisdom from above? Are you Are going to follow his word? Or are you going to go, a fool, Proverbs says, a fool trusts in his own heart. So is Hezekiah here a man who professes faith? Or does he really possess faith? Is he going to be like those in Matthew chapter 7? They're going to call, Lord, Lord, look at all the stuff we did. And he's going to say to them, Udipata, one adverb, I've never known you. You didn't depart from iniquity. So we, we uh, see that uh, Hezekiah, what, what are you going to do? When they come after you, is your faith been some type of magic rabbit's foot, um, or are you going to see this as an opportunity to trust God? Now, um, go go to uh, back to Second Kings chapter twenty, and the chronology here is a little difficult when you first when you first read it because, um, in general. Isaiah follows uh, a, a, a time, this event happens, this event happens after that, this event, but he doesn't always do that. 
And when he doesn't do that, we ought to ask the question, why? For example, when does his call come? Well, that's Isaiah chapter 6. And that's uh, when he was called to the ministry. The vision that he had of holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And he had that, and he goes, woe is me. Well, that comes after five chapters of, of preaching telling the people to repent. So that's most, of myself included, would not see that in chronological order. So chapter 20 really precedes chapter 18. And you go, how do you know that? Well, just look at it. Um, I'm going to skip the illness for now. We'll come back to that later on. But jump down to chapter 12. At that time, Merodach Baladon, the son of Baladon, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah. Now, these are not get well cards. And uh, congratulations, a lot of flowers. We're so happy you got, you got well over that sickness. I mean, he was, he was knocking on death's door back in chapter 20, and he called out to God and he said, why is this happening to me? I've been faithful to you. And the Lord doesn't say, no, you're lying to me. I'm, this is punishment. There, there's no indication that that sickness was a punishment given to Isaiah. And he called out, and he, he's weeping, and God told Isaiah, because Isaiah told him, you better set your house in order. You're about to die. And then Isaiah's leaving. He goes, no, go back and tell him 15 more years. Now, let me warn you here. If you get sick and you try and follow this and say, well, the Lord did that for Hezekiah, so he must do that for me, there is a difference between description and prescription. In other words, that's just a narrative of account. It's telling us what happened. But you have to flesh that out in all of, all of theology. And so anyway, um, this, is, this is not the height of the... Babylonian Empire, and they're kind of like a, a thorn in the flesh to the Assyrians, and the little uprisings here and there. And that's who Merodach Baladon is. And so he, he sends uh, envoys, some of his key people in his cabinet, with letters and a present to Hezekiah. And Hezekiah welcomed them. And he showed them all the treasure, all his treasure house the silver, the gold, the spices the precious oil, his armory, and all that was found in the storehouses. There was nothing in his house or all in his realm that Hezekiah didn't show to him. And Isaiah the prophet's going to come along and say, what were you thinking and doing that? He's going to rebuke him. Well, the, what, what's taken place here is the Babylonians, not Nebuchadnezzar, that's down the road yet, but who are a pain to the Assyrians, they want a coalition. And we'll read later on, that also involved Egypt. And they're saying, hey, Hezekiah, you, you join us. Um, the three of us united together. Um, we, can, we can ward off that uh, uh, Shalmaneser and Sennacherib. Who do, who do they think they are? Just, just join together with us. So really, this isn't just arrogance saying, look at all the way the Lord has blessed me. He's showing his stuff in his treasury. Here, here's what I can bring to the table uh, to offer them. You go, now how do you know that? Well, just watch what happens when he 
when he wobbles uh, in his faith. So this is a flashback of, and we'll come to the end and say, why does, why does uh, he put it there? It's also in Isaiah as well, and kind of think about how should that help us uh, to, finish, to finish well. But uh, these envies, he, he wasn't simply, Hezekiah wasn't simply taking them on a tour to show how God had blessed them. He was showing them his resources he could bring to a Babylonian and Egyptian alliance against Assyria and uh, Judah, Babylon, uh, and Egypt. We'll, we'll hit Assyria right between the eyes. So, now go back to 2 Kings 18, and we're going to pick up in verse 3. Um, so he's deceived by this flattery when uh, Sennacherib comes in and he's attacking, and now we're going to see even a godly king can wobble in his faith. And if you think we can't do that, let him who stands take heed lest he fall. This is why this is recorded. This is for our edification, for our instruction, for our warning. So when you come to 2 Kings 18 and you jump down to verse 13, now what happens? See, he stopped paying the tribute, and this has to be the, what we just read in chapter 20. His storehouses are full I mean, all his treasury, his armory. Now watch what happens here. So he did this. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah, and he took them. And Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying, uh-oh, yep, I've done wrong. Please withdraw from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will bear. And the king of Assyria required of Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver. This is a massive uh, fine and tribute and 30 talents of gold. Now watch what Hezekiah does. And Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and the, in the treasuries of the king's house. And he even stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the doorposts that Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. Let me now just think about this theologically. So he rebelled. God strengthened him. He's not going to pay the tribute. And here comes envoys, and he shows them all the treasury. Yeah, okay. And we'll we'll find out in what the Rabshakeh here is going to taunt Hezekiah with is, uh, yeah, you, you were leaning upon those Egyptians as well. So he evidently got involved in that alliance, and guess what happened to the Egyptians? At least they did show up. Um, um, but when the Assyrians began to uh, um, beat them to a pulp, they went back down to Egypt. So here's, here, and he goes, okay, now what am I going to do? He says, okay, I'm, I'm in trouble. Now, let's, let me pause here and talk about, it says, uh, here, here's the king. This is Sennacherib, king of Assyria. He would be the one that followed his father, Sargon II. Uh, you, you just go down there. 
if you read the Bible, you've heard a lot of these names, Adad Narari. He was probably the one during Jonah, Tiglath-Pileser, Shalmaneser V, Sargon II, Sennacherib, Esarhaddon, and then kind of a revival in the Assyrian Empire under Ashurbanipal. He was the cruelest one of all. You know, they put hooks, they, they capture you, and they put hooks in your nose. And so they would, on relief, say, you would see this, that they're pulling along the captives. Um, how, how would you like to be hooked in the nose? My brother did that to me one time, not, not intentionally. We, we were out fishing, and I'm standing behind him, you know. This is uh, Lake Michigan. We go out to pier. We didn't have rod and reels and all that stuff. Just a cane pole and just a lion on it. So he, he, he flips it back, and I'm standing behind him, and he jerks forward, and it goes right up in my nose. And I'm screaming like crazy. My mother comes, comes running up, shut up, you're not hurt. She got a pair of pliers and jerked it out. And uh, then I really screamed. Well, can you imagine being led off? To, I mean, these guys were incredibly cruel. But look at his name, Sennacherib. Seen, he's mentioned after the moon god. Hey, our, our gods can defeat your little gods. Your, your god, Yahweh, he's, he's some backwater town, a little provincial god, and, and he's weak, but... Man, we, we, trust, we trust the moon god, and we trust Asher for Assyria. So he, he comes along. You think of the, the Assyrian Empire. So they're, they're swelling here, and then you see Jerusalem, and then you see it keep going, and there's a little pocket just of Jerusalem at, uh, at this time. And here's what's really interesting. I put two dots. Um, here it is. This is Lachish, and it's over in the Shephelah, which is near the coast. That's the flat land where the Philistines are, and up here is Jerusalem. So what Sennacherib does, he comes down with his armies, and he starts attacking and conquering the Judean strongholds. And once he has those under his control, now he's going to come after Jerusalem. Now, the importance of Lachish, it was probably, I mean, there are, there. I wish we would have been able to go there, but the closer you get to the coast, um, when we went on trips to Israel down in there, you know, we had to have a, a armor uh, reinforced bus with bulletproof windows that travels about two miles an hour. It, it was so heavy, but they don't like us going over there because they were still, Hezbollah were still shooting rockets. But, but here it is. Here's, here's some description of Lachish there on the coast after they've excavated it. it it's a mound, that sta- a tell that stands great up. And you look at how strong it was. And they, so what do they do? They went over, they attacked that, and they conquered that in 701 B.C. And so now, so, you, you know, the battle's going to be long, and they're... Their plan was, you know, to come in and set up siege works, and this takes time. And so he goes, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna send my chief guy. I'm, I'm gonna Ken Rav Shaket. Rav means uh, it, it's much or many. He's the great man, and it's from a. The rest of that is from a verb to give drink. He would be like the king's cupbearer. Uh, but he's, he's one of the guys in the cabinet. You better trust your, your cupbearer. Um, 
that he doesn't switch something after he, 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 he took a drink of it and poison you. So this is an important official. We, we would read in uh, elsewhere they came. So let, let's pick it up. In the 14th year of king of Assyria, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up. So we have a wobble in faith by Hezekiah. He takes the money that's devoted to God, strips the temple, and thinks this is going to help. He should have learned that pattern from his father that that didn't work too well. And so now that uh, Sennacherib has all the money, now what does he do? He reneges on his word. So let me go back again. Can you trust an Assyrian? Probably not. And so the king of Assyria sent the Tartan, the Rabsirs, and the Rabshakeh with a great army from Lachish that they've already conquered that stronghold, and they came up to Jerusalem. And when they came and they stood by the conduit of the upper pool, and he calls out for the king, and the king goes, Now I'm, I'm sending out three of my key guys. And so they stand out there, and the Rabshakeh says to them, Now watch the verbal intimidation. Watch how it starts out. Say to Hezekiah, that little tiny king who only thinks he can resist, watch this. Thus says not Yahweh. Do you know how many times that occurs in the Old Testament? Thus says the Lord. I, think, I, I didn't count it, Gary. I just did it on a computer. 414 times that expression, thus says the Lord. And so you know what he's saying? I'm, hey, no, not the Lord. Thus says the Gadol Melech, the great king of Assyria. You better, you better pay attention to him. Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria. Now watch what he challenges immediately. Watch how many times the word trust, reliance, occurs in here. You go back to the garden. This is, this is the same tactic. See? You, 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 think, you think God's really that good? Can you really trust his word? He lied to you. He lied to you. He doesn't want any rivals. You can't believe him. So here it is. Um, on what do you rest this trust, this reliance of, you, of yours? Um, do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war? And whom do you now, here it is again, trust that you have rebelled against me. And here it is, here's another indication of that threefold alliance. So he's trusting Egypt, and um, he was going to trust that little Babylonian uh, rebellion. And so they knew about it. And when the battle hit, uh, the Egyptians turned tail and ran back down to Egypt. So they knew that. They said, ah, you're, you're trusting now in Egypt a, a broken reed and a staff. Sometimes unbelievers are used by God to rebuke us for, for our unbelief, for our lack of trust. And that's what occurs here. And he says... Uh, but if you say to me, verse 22, we trust in the Lord our God, 
Is it not he whose high places and pillars Hezekiah has removed? In other words, they, they must have had uh, their s spies or some type of intelligence system there in Judah because they knew what Hezekiah had done. But they think it's bad. See, really, this is a good thing. Um, they're, they're pagans. They don't, they don't understand the worship of the, uh, of the soul god. And um, so now this, this is really an in-your-face. Jump down to verse uh, 27. First of all, he says, hey, don't, don't speak the lingua franca Aramaic. We don't want all the people uh, uh, to hear this. And they go, are you kidding me? We're telling all the people. Here's what's going to happen to you down in verse 27. The Rabshakeh says, Has my master sent me to speak these words to your master and to you, and not to the men sitting on the wall who are doomed with you to eat their own dung and to drink their own urine? We're, we're going to starve you people to death. We're going to lay an assault. And, and we're always victorious. And uh, verse 29, Don't let Hezekiah deceive you. Don't let him make you trust in the Lord. That the Lord's don't listen to Hezekiah. Here it is, verse 31. Thus says the king of Assyria, just like thus says the Lord, thus says the king of Assyria. Make your peace with me. Really? You're gonna, you, you're gonna trust the terrorist to give you shalom? And he says, Here, here's, here's what I'll do for you. See, if you just submit, then each one of you will eat of his own vine and each one of his own fig tree, and each one of you will drink the water of his own cistern. I mean, don't, don't, don't you prefer grapes to dung? Don't you prefer good water to, to urine? I mean, I mean, just listen to us. Come on, be reasonable. And don't listen to Hezekiah. Don't trust in him. And now here's where the fatal flaw comes in. He mocks the living God. He mocks the living God. Where are the gods of Hamat and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvayim and Hineniva? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their hands out of my hand? That the Lord, this Lord is going to deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? You better forget it. You need a history lesson. And so the people were silent, didn't answer him a word because they were told not to. And Hezekiah and his men tore their clothes. Now, here's where good's good. Now jump over to Isaiah, because this, these, these chapters are basically almost identical, and Isaiah includes them as well. So I'm going to jump up to chapter 37, Isaiah. As soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth, and it was more than his wardrobe. It was what was in his heart. And he went into the house of the Lord. And guess what? He sent his key guys, Eliakim, Shebna, the senior priest, to the prophet Isaiah. The, the plan, the faulty plan to cave in and to give in 
to the Assyrians and to start paying tribute. As a matter of fact, take take the money and and the resources and strip the gold right off the temple and and give it to them. Didn't work. Didn't work. Here they are. And so he goes to the prophet Isaiah and and he says to him in verse 3, this is a day of distress, a rebuke, a disgrace. Children have come to the point of birth. There's no strength to bring them forth. It, It may be, watch this, it may be perhaps that the Lord your God will hear the words of the Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to mock the living God, and he'll rebuke the words that the Lord your God has heard. Now watch this. They come to Isaiah. Instead of, thus says the king of Assyria, watch this. Isaiah says, he's, he's not a maybe theology. He's a little more definite here. Uh, thus says, not the king of Assyria, but the Lord Don't be afraid because of the words that you have heard with which the young men of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him, and he'll hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I'll make him fall by the sword in his own land. But but what does Hezekiah do at that point? He hears it, but he still prays. Look at his great prayer in, in verse 14. So he got this letter, some type of written message, and what's he do? He goes in to the house of the Lord, and he just just spreads it out. He just spreads it out. I am so encouraged by this chapter. You should be too. You you have difficulties in life? We all do. They're from the hand of a sovereign God. So what does he do? Uh, Let me see how I can figure this out. He just spreads it out to the Lord. He turns it over to him. And he says, he prays, O Yahweh of armies, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim. You know, they're touting all their gods. They're saying you're some backwater god from nowhere land. And he says, no, you are the God. You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations in their lands. That is historically true. They've cast their gods into the fire, but they were no gods. They weren't gods at all. They're the work of men's hands, wood and stone. So now, O Lord, our God, save us from his hand. Watch the reason that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. When we start praying for the glory of God, you can, you, you can be sure that now you can have some confidence. You're not, you're not praying just for my self-interest. You're saying, oh, Lord, would your glory be shown here? I'm, I'm having such a delightful time with my one grandson. I'm, I'm teaching him on Zoom. It's Bible and Latin. And... Uh, um, Tyler, I'm using those, those tag books that you gave to me. And in, in the very first one, you know, it, 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 it talks about the glory of God. And so I asked my young grandson, what's, what's the glory of God? And how do, how do you glorify God? So uh, he's picking up on it. He's learning. 
the glory of God is doxa. He's, it, it's a word for weight. He is the true heavyweight in the universe. He made the universe. He controls all things. So why not turn to Him? And Lord, bring glory to Yourself in this answer to prayer. When we start praying that way, you can be sure you are praying in alignment with what brings delight to the, word, to the God of heaven. And so then we have an answer. Isaiah comes back and says, Thus says the Lord of God, because you prayed to me concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria. You, you, you see that failed system? You, you wanted to do it your own way. You, you wobbled in your faith. You're going to pay him off. An Assyrian, you, you didn't learn anything from your father. Look, you pray to me, you call upon me, and uh, trust me. He says, don't trust me. Seven times I think in that. Don't trust Hezekiah and his God. And Isaiah comes back, no, that's a person you better trust. So, he, he spreads that out before the Lord, and then he is saved by supernatural divine help. Go to uh, Isaiah 37. The Lord says, I'm going to defend this city to save it for my own sake, for the sake of my servant David. So sometimes Israel has to fight. Um, remember, uh, what did they have to do for the arms of Moses? Uh, hold them up, all the battles. And, and uh, here, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. You know, you don't read about this in the Assyrian annals. Why? Is he going to go back and go, you wouldn't believe what happened to me. And, uh, but there's, there's a blank in this time. And so the people arose early in the morning and looked out, and they were all dead bodies. And Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived at Nineveh. And so he goes in, into the house of Nisroch, one of his gods, and he's in there and goes, Hey, Nisroch, what happened here? You know, um, I, I kind of lost. Um, where are you to protect me? Now, if you read back what Isaiah said particularly, he said, And as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god, two of his sons, Adramelech and Sharezer, struck him down with the sword. His own sons executed him, assassinated him. And then they escaped into the land of Ararat, and Esarhaddon, and his son, reigned in his place. So what are, what are we learning from a great godly king? Yeah, faith can have its wobbles. Did Peter have his wobbles? He did. Um, as a matter of fact, not only Peter, but it says all, all 11 forsook and ran. And there they are in the upper room, still, still afraid. And Jesus appears to them, and when he says, Shalom, peace be to you, there, there's something different about that. Um, we're, we're learning here that a great godly king, head and shoulders above the kings who were before him and the kings after him, great reformation, 
And yet, in the time of a crisis, he looked to himself. We're at a time in crisis in our nation. A 2015 decision to endorse same-sex basically has now endorsed postmodernism. We determine what truth is. Truth is a social construct. So what are you going to do about it? And then we have an administration that comes along and hammers that thing. And now churches are caving into this issue. So we don't want to be, you, you can be a godly people and you can begin to cave in to the pressure that's being brought upon us. We, we got an elders meeting tomorrow and I pray, pray for us as elders. We have a responsibility not to cave in, to hold to the truth, no matter what kind of pressure is built upon. We need to protect the doors. No, we're not going to endorse false doctrine. And I, and I have a responsibility to pray for the Biden administration. But I don't pray for them that God would bless them in terms of what they're doing. I pray, Lord, would you convict them? Would you show what absolute monstrous perversion of truth this is? And, and maybe, maybe even out of, out of some of them, you, you might save some of those people. And those who know the truth, they may be far and few in between. I think Mike Pompeo is, certainly seems to be one of them. And uh, I, I'm going to look to support people that, that know the truth, that believe the truth. Thank you, Lord, for, for this warning here. Help, help us to believe it, to obey it. Now, I want to finish then with going to this flashback in 2 Kings chapter 20, if you'll turn there, back to 2 Kings. So, th so this illness and the arrival of the envoys, see, he still has all the wealth in his treasury, which means that's one of the indications that Isaiah put this later on, even though the events occur between 17 and 18, because there he still has, has the money. And here it's, it's this great sickness. And, and what does he do there? He turns to the Lord. He turns to him and he cries out. That's what it means to walk by faith. And so in both Isaiah as well, the author of 2 Kings, he's going he's to put up a contrast here. Here's what it means to walk by faith. A crisis comes in, it's his illness, and what does he do? He calls upon the Lord. Now, I'm, I'm not like Luther. If you become ill, I, I remember one of the... One of the reformers he, need, he, he went to and he was dying and he says, I command you in the name of Jesus to get better. I need you for this reformation. And guess what? He got better. He was, he was sick. So I, I, don't, I don't, yeah, you're in trouble. If, uh, and, uh, but we pray for one another, God, the God 
of heaven does graciously hear and uh, answer prayer. But it should get our attention whether I'm healed here on this planet. I'm going to get a perfect healing in heaven. And so, Lord, help me to finish well. Sometimes we'll see, we'll see the end coming. How many... hospitals that I've been in and watch people breathe their last breath. It's not an easy thing to do. And I've watched people die well, believers. Um, and some haven't died so well. Trust. Trust Him. He's sovereign. He's, he's the good God of heaven above and you turn your attention to him. And then don't be, now remember, this is not the last word on Hezekiah, and this is a flashback to what he did before then in, when the envoys showed up. So watch this. Verse 16, after he did it, what have they seen in your house, Isaiah says to Hezekiah? Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and some of your own sons who will be born to you shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. One of his sons was Manasseh who took the throne. What a disaster that was until he humbled himself. And then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. Why not if there will be peace and security in my days? So I'm not saying this is the final word on him because this happens before. But here's a warning. Here's a warning. The sickness, that difficulty, he walked, he walked by faith. Here, he walks by sight and he makes no provision. You need to make plans. You aim at nothing, you're going to hit nothing. Uh, I submit the plans to the Lord. If I knew that the Lord was coming back at midnight, or if I knew he was coming back at noon, three minutes from now, you know what I'd do differently? Nothing. I'd, I'd keep on preaching. i keep on serving. So I get up in the morning. What do, what do you need to do? You need, if you don't do it in the morning, find some time to read the book. Read the book. This is more precious than silver and gold. This is instruction from heaven. You need to read it. Don't be among the 89% of professing believers who don't read the book on a regular basis. You need to read it. This is God's Word. And then you pray and you respond back to it. And when difficulties come into your life, don't cave in and solve them in the world's way. Call out to the living God. That's why he puts that there. What it means to walk by faith as we're versus walking by sight. Now, finally then, I want to finish this way. Even Hezekiah, a good godly king, he's, he's not the king to come. Where is this king of righteousness? Where is this greater son of David? The best king in Judah after David? Nope. Mary, you're going to conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and call his name Jesus. He will be great. 
He'll be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Is your, is your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? If it's not, it's ill-founded. And don't just profess faith, possess true saving faith that involves repentance and turning away from sin. You repent and you believe in the gospel. Again, the thief on the cross, he entered, he entered the kingdom a little late in life, but he finished well. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. If you're here this morning and you haven't started not one foot in the kingdom, if you haven't repented of your sin and believed in Jesus, you're in darkness. You need to repent and turn to him. And we walk by faith one day at a time. We walk by sight. Live each moment, coram deo. If the Lord's going to return, how should he find you? Faithful, serving him, trusting him, and appropriate the means of grace, word, preaching, prayer, fellowship, Lord's table. But with all of your plans, remember, the Lord's coming back. The Lord's coming back. Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. May we long and pray, even so come, Lord Jesus. And in light of that, help me to be faithful, serving, loving, giving, using whatever energy, time, resources, ability you have given to me, to live for the glory of God. May God, may God make us that kind of a people.